I'm not gonna be able to preter <laughs> preternaturally. Preternaturally. Yeah, I think it's preter. Preternaturally. I'm trusting the British person. I'm chalking that up to a British thing. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the preternaturally young, questionably hip, and definitively lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Hello. And Olga Segura. Hey, guys. How are we doing? Great. Pretty good. Yeah? Yes, we are. This We got our first drink recommendation. Yeah. We're pretty week. excited, and it's mm-hmm. fancy. I mean, we're <laughs> we're leagues away from whiskey and Canada Dry this week. It's yes. fancy and strong. Yes. Yeah, strong. So what, what, what's on tap, Zach? So Richard from Brooklyn writes in the uh, recipe for the Brooklyn Smoky Martini, which is composed of two parts gin, one part vermouth, and a splash of bourbon, which I think is what gives it this kind of smoky. particular smoky flavor. Yeah. Excellent. Um, yeah, so very good. We're, I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, I yeah. confess I've already had some. <laughs> but anyway, so here's All to the right. episode. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. All right, so who is our guest this week, Olga? Today we've got Tracy Wigfield, an Emmy Award winning writer known for her work on 30 Rock and most recently. Best rec- show ever. Have to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to throw it out there. <laughs> And most recently, her new sitcom, her new NBC sitcom called Great News. Uh, so we're very excited that she'll be joining us. And then after that, we've got our weekly Consolations and Desolations, where we tell you where we've found or haven't found God this week. Excellent. Uh, but first, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Uh, first, you may know that the Ringling Bros and Barnum and Bailey Circus is coming to an end this May, a 140-year run. Um, but what you might not know is that they have a official Catholic chaplain, uh, Father George Hogan. Uh, he was appointed by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops to be the chaplain for the circus, has been doing it for 24 years, um, and this week talked about his experience uh, celebrating the last Easter Mass with the members of the circus. So. That was yeah, and there were some uh, <laughs> some photos that accompanied this story. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna say, not best, a, not a fan of the vestments. They were the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. Do you know what they are? Uh, nope. They are. They took the tears like, of liturgists. <laughs> oh, no, the tears of elephants. Elephants. Um, <laughs> they took the wow. blankets, the very like very color colorful blankets that were on top of the circus elephant elephants, and stitched them together into vestments. I think they're fun. I think you're being a little. I think. What liturgical <laughs> color are we going for here? <laughs> All of them. Uh, He's yeah. the national circus chaplain. He has to wear something that's a little He's different than other out. chaplains. You don't though. There are all kinds of chaplains and none of them have to wear anything that's different. <laughs> but are they the National Circus Chaplains? That's true. I mean, anyway, I've never been to the circus. Have you guys been to the circus? Yeah. I have. It's I have. Great. Yeah. I have to admit, I did not realize it was closing, so it's kind of sad because I feel like this is such a childhood memory for so many people. And I just cared more about animal rights than you two. So one time when my mom was... When I, <laughs> oh, my, I was Lord. a kid. My mom was like, Zach, do you want to go to the circus? And I said, no, mom, those poor animals. Please pass have, me the chicken Did you have nuggets. your little picket sign also as well as a four-year-old? Right, with my cheeseburger and chicken nuggets <laughs> in hand, yes. 
Oh, uh, okay. Next, we have May Day. That was May 1st. Were either of you marching? No, I was no. not. I was working uh, in, in spirit, though. <laughs> and what is, can you explain what May Day is? Yeah, so May Day is been for over 100 years a holiday that celebrates labor and workers. So if you like things like the eight-hour workday or children not working in factories or uh, the minimum wage, then you should maybe look up May Day or thank, thank your union or read some <laughs> encyclicals rerum navarum yeah or read some rerum navarum <laughs> um and may, uh, may 1st uh, in 1955 the catholic church also made that the feast day of saint joseph the worker uh, yeah, jesus's I, dad yeah which i thought was laborer. pretty cool that the yeah. church is recognizing the importance of labor and also acknowledging that jesus and the holy family came from a working class yeah. like joseph was a laborer mary's a laborer jesus was a laborer himself so pretty cool but this May Day was sort of unique um, for a couple of reasons, right? Yeah, it was the first year that workers' rights aligned themselves with the rights of immigrants. And the organizers of the May Day Action really wanted to sort of challenge this idea that immigrants are stealing all of these American jobs. And they wanted to say, you know, you have to shift this toward, you know, changing te- changing industry and evolving technology. It's yeah, not- it's the robots and the kiosk of Indies, <laughs> not... Exactly. It's not, you know the immigrant family that's working to sort of provide for their family. So it was really beautiful to see these two kind of uh, movements align themselves this year. Mm-hmm. All right. What's next, Zach? So our next story comes out of Chicago, where Origins, which was the first conference of the Society of Catholic Scientists, took place. And the reason I brought this up is kind of, it's a we just had the March for Science, and there's still somewhat in the air this perception that the church is anti-science. And one of our listeners uh, Catherine Mohorn wrote in and suggested that, among other things, we introduce you know, famous Christians or famous Catholics that have made generous contributions to society in the past. And one of the people that she mentioned was Father Gregor Mendel, who you know is the f- father, father genetics. of genetics, right? <laughs> and the things that he discovered have lasting impacts up until today. And you know, some of the people at the conference said that for some reason there's this perception that as a Catholic and a scientist, you, you know, don't believe in evolution or something from your coworkers, which is certainly not the church's position on mm-hmm. evolution at all. And it reminded me of a time when I was in college and head of the Vatican observatory, brother Guy Consomagno gave a talk and, you know, he mentioned, you know, scientists believe in truth. They're not antagonistic to religion, you know, go to the English department. That's where they don't believe in it. <laughs> <laughs> So shout out to you, Catholic scientists. <laughs> nice. Keep up the good work. What's next, Olga? So last week, Pope Francis visited Egypt, and it was a very significant trip because, as we know, there were recent attacks against Coptic Christians in Egypt. So many people sort of thought that Pope Francis should cancel this trip. And in true Pope Francis fashion, he went along with the trip, and it was seen as this huge symbol of Christian-Muslim relations. And a lot of people saw it as a really hopeful move on his on Pope Francis's part. And a lot of beautiful images have come out of this trip. Yeah. And as, as so often the case, the, these gestures, these symbols are, are backed up by real su- substance. So like he, he decided not to use a bulletproof car. Um, and that was a real statement of solidarity with Christians in Egypt who don't have bulletproof 
churches and are risking their lives when they mm -hmm. go to worship. Um, he he referred to the head of Al Azhar University, which is kind of like the the Vatican of the Sunni Muslim world. He he embraced him, called him my brother. Every time he opened up a talk, he said um, as Assalam Alaikum, the the Muslim greeting, peace be upon you. That one semester of Arabic. Oh yeah, in college is really kicking in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I throw that in whenever I can. Um, but no, so these these are gestures that really they mean a lot to. Um, people on the Arab street uh, there, you know, there have been some tense times in recent years between Catholics and Muslims and to have the Pope embrace uh, the grand Imam, the head of Al-Azhar. Um, that's a, that's a powerful statement of, you know, Christian and Islam are not at war. Yeah. And even within Christian ecumenical relations, Pope Francis is making strides with uh, the Coptic Pope Tabadouris the second, because so Though the Catholic and the cops, for the first time ever, declared that they are going to recognize each other's baptism. So Pope Francis and Pope Tawadoris got together and they signed a statement saying that if one person, if someone from the Coptic Church wants to become a Catholic, they're not going to rebaptize them. Yeah. But it was surprising to me that it used to be the, not the case. Right. Yeah. Because if, I mean, you're, if you're in a mainline, mainline Protestant church, you don't have to get rebaptized, right? Typically, yeah. In the United States, if you were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then that's valid across, We, you know, as Christians, we share one baptism. Mm -hmm. And so being able to join those two bridges with the Coptic church is huge. And it comes after 44 years after Pope Paul VI met with the previous Coptic Pope, Shenouda the third in May of 1973. So we've been making big strides. I yeah. mean, 40 years, I know seems like a long time, but, <laughs> but in the history in, in of the church, church time, that's, yeah. it's nothing. that's nothing. Yeah. So there is a new study out from the Pew Research Center um, that has some surprising information about education and religion. There's a common perception, which is correct, that um, the more educated... Empirically, empirically correct. Empirically <laughs> correct, that the more educated people are, the less likely they are to be religious. So that is true. But it's also the case that within people who identify as religious, um, the more education that they have, the more likely they are to actually pray or attend church or be active uh, within their faith. So, but not for all religious not re people. Yeah. Right. So for Catholics and Mormons and mainline Protestants, um, college grads are actually more likely to uh, attend religious service. Um, but for members of minority religions within the U.S., uh, Muslims and Jews, the uh, college grads are less likely to be um, involved with their religion. So I have a theory. What's your theory? Basically that if you are of a minority religion, you are probably within a religious community growing up, and that is tighter knit. You're less likely to be integrated into the regular society. And if you go to college, you are less likely, just by a numbers game, mm -hmm. to find that same level of community at the university, right? Like you have to really seek it out and build it up yourself a lot of the times. Whereas if you are a Christian, often what happens is someone will, you know, be in a high school and then they'll go to a university and find an even a, a tighter knit community in their campus ministry department or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. that is sort of the dynamic that I think is playing off itself here. Yeah. I, that makes sense to me in terms of why um, like Muslims and Jews would tend to drift away from organized religion in college. But the, I, that, that Christians would retain that is still kind of surprising to me given, given that education and religion are in general negatively correlated. So do you like, think do you think you got more into your religion in college? 
I did, for sure. It was less finding like a tight knit Catholic community than the, the feeling of like taking ownership of my faith for the first time, like being independent, not like not having mom and dad drag me to mass, but getting to make the choice for myself. Um, so I, yeah, that, I guess that could be the case for other people as well. Yeah. What about, what about you? What was your experience in college? My, I mean, I came into college pretty, I came out of a youth group, so I was like pretty overzealous yeah. about the whole Catholic thing starting <laughs> freshman year. Um, but I had, when I got there, I went to a Jesuit school and even within that Jesuit school, there was a really tight knit, you know, community, a Catholic community that would, you know, go to mass like Thursday night in the Jesuits chapel. And that was sort of like a really core solid group that I formed a lot of my friends around. So, mm-hmm. and I'm still here. So I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So for me, I actually grew farther away from religion when I started college because mm-hmm. in high school, I went to an all-girls school. So it was required to go to mass weekly um, as a community in, within the school. And then I started at Fordham and it was a much larger campus and I, there were a lot more people. And, and like, like you were saying, it, 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 the responsibility was placed on me to kind of be active and find these spaces. And I didn't. So then I, I, for me personally, I grew a little bit. Um, it was it was the opposite like i grew away from the faith in college maybe that's that public school catholic school dynamic mm-hmm. for high school i don't know yeah wait you, you, wanted... you went to public high school yeah right? yeah no and that but then a catholic oh yeah so I'll i went public to, to or yeah, you went I, to public to public i yeah. went public to catholic I'll i went go catholic, catholic i went catholic to catholic interesting right i mean part of it might have to do with even though you know a lot of schools have lost their religious heritage they nonetheless have a often Christian background, right? So a lot of the schools that are now quote unquote public or secular um, were founded under, I don't know, like a Methodist tradition or some other mainline Protestant. Like, I don't know. Did UVA have a... Oh, no. It was founded by Thomas Jefferson. Oh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> he literally put the rotunda in the place of the chapel. That's right. That's right. Never mind. You're the worst example here. But, 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 but the, that was like a, that Harvard was a, or Yale or Duke or... And he did that for a reason, right? It was something... Yeah. To break the mold of what everyone else was doing. Mm-hmm. I yes, mean, yes. He was making a statement about the wall of separation between church and state by doing yes. that. But a lot of places, a lot of elite colleges were, do have religious roots. And so, you know, you, you've got your big chapel in the middle of the campus. Um, so if you are Christian, the, the default, it, it, it's there. Uh, you, can, you can find a community pretty easily. Yeah, it's a lot easier to opt out of something than it is to opt into it. So, listener, we have a question for you. If you maybe went to a university where the synagogue or the mosque was at the center of campus, even if it was antiquated and not really used as that anymore, we would love to know that. Or or if you went to a Christian or public school, how how that played into your faith uh, as you as you went through college. Yeah, did you go closer to your faith? Move away from it? Let us know. Jesuitical at americamedia.org. We are now joined by Tracy Wigfield. She is an Emmy Award winning writer, comedy writer. She wrote for 30 Rock and the Mindy Kaling Project. And now she has her own sitcom on NBC called Great News. Um, And she also wrote a great piece for America called A Sorta Catholic's Very Catholic Wedding. Thank you so much for joining us, Tracy. Oh, thank you for having us. 
Um, so I guess we'll start with that that great term you use in your piece, uh, a sort of Catholic. What what does being a sort of Catholic mean to you? <laughs> it's sort of a thing that um, a lot of my friends who uh, were raised Catholic and went to Catholic school uh, and now in you know in their adult life kind of go to church and are you know maybe watch you know watch Joel Osteen now and again and and sometimes catch Oprah Super Soul Sunday, but, um, aren't, you know, aren't sort of on the same rigorous, uh, church schedule that maybe they grew up with. And, um, you know, and I think I, I definitely consider myself Catholic, um, because I was raised that way. And a lot of being Catholic appeals to me, but, you know, there are some things, there are some things about it that don't. And, and so I think that I kind of, that label, uh, <laughs> is kind of a way of saying, uh, you know, I'm not all the way in, guys. Uh, but you, I mean, you had what 16 years of Catholic school? Is that is that right? Yeah. So it, yeah, it's like, kind of hard long, to just as long leave as it. You can have like <laughs> I, you know, starting in kindergarten and then through. Uh, I went to an all girls Catholic high school, and then I went to Boston College, which was Jesuit. So I have a question about just sort of you know trying to make it in. Hollywood and comedy writing. I have a friend who is out in LA right now, and he says that uh, being a Catholic has actually helped him. Uh, he thinks that Catholics and Jews are really? are, are better situated to respond <laughs> to Hollywood because you're constantly being told you suck. And that, oh, interesting. <laughs> that, that Catholic guilt comes yeah, in you, handy. And you can just sort of like you're you're better able to just like brush that off in a way that you know maybe other people are not. Has that been true in your experience? Oh, that's interesting. You know, I would say I think it can go either way because maybe that's true, but I also feel like. Catholics are worse at kind of internalizing the guilt of rejection. Like, oh, you didn't like my script. That must mean my writing is bad, which must mean I am bad. Time, But you know what? I do find that like, I, I think people often think I'm Jewish. I'm, I'm Italian Catholic. And I think we're very similar um, in that we have overbearing mothers and sort of, um, you know, loud, excitable personalities. And, um, yeah, I, I guess I do run into a lot of Jewish people and Catholic people uh, running Hollywood. I think that is true. It's not it's not the place for quiet Episcopalians. <laughs> Walk, yeah, no, respectabil- respectability is not an asset no. <laughs> in comedy. Yeah. Could you could you talk a little bit about your piece for America? Um, it was your your journey sure. journey through wedding prep. <laughs> Sure. So I I wrote a piece for um, the magazine that was about my experience with planning a Catholic wedding, um, being, as I described, sort of Catholic myself. And, and, you know, the kind of push and pull of, you know, it was important to my mother that I get married in a church and, and, you know, the sort of little arguments we had uh, going back and forth about uh, getting married in a church and what that meant what kind of music we were allowed to use and we couldn't say our own vows and, you know, all these sort of frustrations I was having over the wedding planning process and then kind of coming to the realization uh, right before I got married, you know, that a lot of the frustrations with both planning a Catholic wedding or planning any wedding, the kind of high level of bridezilla that comes out, you know, (laughs) often has very little to do with the decisions you're making and more to do with, this giant decision of getting married that kind of no one's talking about and no one cares about, uh, you know, like all the time is just spent picking out 
napkins and, you know, and imitations and deciding on songs and all these little decisions while the big monumental one is kind of, you know, the, the big emotional change. Uh, I felt like I was kind of willfully ignoring. Um, and the end result was I was very happy to get married in a church. There was something kind of nice and, uh, you know, there, something that felt sort of timeless and, and, uh, old fashioned in a really good way yeah, uh, when you're making a big decision like that. Yeah. yeah. Does there need to be a Catholic wedding Pinterest <laughs> to yeah. accommodate these limitations that you ran up against? I, you know, but the thing that was funny was when I was in sort of in the heat of it. And I, I talk about having this email battle with this uh, poor beleaguered woman who ran the music at the church where we were getting married um, I, you know, I was constantly Googling, like, like, have anyone ever experienced this? Like, you, why, why can we not just play any song that we want at church? And why can I just say my own vows and whatever? And, you know, there's a lot of people who were in the same boat and were like, yeah, like eventually I just had to give up because I think, you know, I, I think every bride sort of goes into the process of planning their wedding being like, this is special. This is, my day, no one's ever gotten married before me, <laughs> and then, you know, and then at least in Catholic weddings, you get beaten down to the point where it's like, okay, yes, just, I'll do whatever you want. Well, and it's easier to negotiate with terrorists than it is with liturgists. <laughs> yes, that was definitely what was going on. <laughs> and you, you kind of, in the piece, you talk about coming to this epiphany about the bigger picture at pre-Cana, what, you know, the, you know, Catholic wedding prep, <laughs> which, you know, might come as a surprise to some people because I think it's many who are in your position might see it as a chore. Um, Hell, I yeah. see it as a chore. That sounds <laughs> terrible. Oh, I certainly did see it as a chore. And I think even my husband beforehand was like, well, you know, we spent like a thousand days thinking about uh, you know, what, what kind of paper products we're having at our wedding. Like, it's not such a bad thing to spend one day thinking about our marriage. And I think it's, it's beneficial, you know, whether, whether we needed all of the information contained there or not, like there was an hour spent on like how to open a bank account. I was like, all right, this needs to be updated. Like, I think people who are five know how to open a bank account at this point. But, you know, uh, the thing is, I think a lot of couples do, things like that. Even non-Catholic couples do like, I've heard of people doing couples therapy before they get married or buying one of those books. It's like 50 questions you should ask before you get married. And, you know, I think the impulse of that is really smart because, you know, like you, I mean, we obviously had many conversations before we got engaged and before we got married about uh, what does this mean and what do we want our life together to look like and stuff. But you know, it is something I think like you need to, you need to be talking through all the time, any big life decision you make, you need to make sure you're really feeling the, the, you know, mo the monumental importance of it and not kind of brushing it under the rug. So this was a debate around our lunch table a little bit. And I kind of said that I think this is the last generation, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the last generation of sort of Catholics, right? So like, are we mm. going to have... You know, in the next generation, uh, people who are, you know, getting married to kind of like please the angry Catholic mother. Like, would you would you make your own daughter get married in church? Would that be important to you? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like you there's always when, you know, when you grow up, you're raised a certain way and then you sort of rebel and feel like, oh, I don't need this anymore. And then at least it was my experience. There's a little bit of a homecoming once you uh once you find the person you want to be with and you think about starting a family, like 
you know, it's much easier to be like, oh, church is boring. I don't want to go when you don't have little kids that you're like, wait, but do they need to go to church? <laughs> you know, I, and I, I was even talking, like I was talking to my girlfriends this weekend who went to Boston College with me. And, and one of them was saying, oh, yeah, we started going to church, too. And we're not like great about it like our parents were. But like we try and we get there every couple of weeks, you know. Um, and so I, you know, I don't know. And I think also like when things get scary, uh, in the world, like I think there is, you know, it always goes back and forth and there's a return to, uh, let's go back to somewhere that feels kind of safe. And, um, you know, <laughs> are you saying things are scary and, in the world orderly. right now? <laughs> oh, I think things are very scary. Are you guys very scared? We're very scared. <laughs> you think it's going to be what, like, is there, cause people will always kind of long for communities, but maybe they make new communities that are outside of, you know, at least I'm talking about like the coastal elites make new communities outside of religion. Maybe it's like in LA, you, you know, instead of going to church, you all go to your farmer's market or you all go to your soul cycle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't know. I don't know if we figured it out yet, but I don't, uh, like I joined a shuffleboard team here in Brooklyn. <laughs> like, <laughs> So, it's just like church. That's real old school. Yeah, like, right. So, so that's go, like what my grandparents. Did. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what. Did people you do are that because you're scared? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't know what people are going to do because I I think that enough people have been turned off by the church that there's not yeah. going to be. It's not going to feel like home. It's not going to feel safe to a generation of people. I, I I fully I I get, I get that. I I would say that to. Uh, it, pre-Pope Francis, I would say that. I think, like, he has the power to sort of... I have a lot of faith in Pope Francis. I feel like he has the power to inspire people in a new current way, and has been doing that. Like, you know, I, I obviously don't follow, like, Catholic news or anything, but, like, I do feel like he's mainstream and um, feel, you know, people are looking for morality in, in, in other sectors when they aren't feeling it in like the political sector. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think like maybe there's an opportunity at this moment, but I don't know, maybe, maybe pre Pope Francis, pre Donald Trump, I would say different. I would think I, differently. I am inspired by your hope. I, I think you, I've, I feel, I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I changed your mind. That was very easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah nice. Um, so Tracy, sort of jumping off of that um, feeling of hope in your new show, it's been an exciting time for you. Yeah. Great News just premiered last month. It's a story about a mother and a daughter and sort of chasing their dreams. So it's a, it's a very, can you talk about the experience in creating this show and also producing it? Sure. I, you know, I had been a TV writer uh, for the past uh, almost 10 years. And uh, this was my first attempt to develop my own show. And so I was kind of thinking about in the vein of write what you know, a relationship that's very close to my heart and that I always found humor in was uh, the relationship between me and my mom. And so I, you know, I was kind of thinking about that idea of like my mom and, and her friends and women of that generation, you know, who were not given the opportunities that uh, I and my friends were given, were kind of told you could be like a, a nurse or a secretary or a teacher, or get married. I, I you know, I, I kind of was thinking about like, what if a woman who sort of chose to be a stay-at-home mom 30 years ago now was looking down the next 30 years of her life and was thinking like, I think it's not too late. Like, I never made it after all, like Mary Tyler Moore, but what if I could do it 
now when I'm 60 alongside my daughter, you know, we could both kind of go after our dreams. So it is very much like a kind of hopeful, aspirational show, um, especially, you know, the idea being like, it's, it's not too late for anyone. Like everyone gets a, everyone should get a second act and maybe a third act. It's it's about a TV producer for like a local news station, and yeah. and her mom becomes an intern, <laughs> an intern, an, at an intern that, now, yeah. at that station. Um, so and the dynamics between the daughter and mother are funny. The dynamics between like the lead anchor and the mom are funny. But so I'm just wondering how much of this is like true true to your life. Like, is your mom actually? that involved with your um, it's, you know it's pretty it's pretty true to yeah. the character carol the mom on the show is you know is basically plagiarized from my mother like she <laughs> she says those kinds of things and even i mean the actress who plays her andrea martin um met her a couple times but she you know she's obviously just playing a character that she created based on the script and and sort of her choices but a bunch of people have called my mom and been like did she, did you give her tapes of yourself like as she's been studying you and I was, and she's like no like she but Andrea you know is um from New York and she is uh sort of has my mom's energy naturally and so um she is like a very good doppelganger for her so our we have one more question Something we ask all of our guests is that if you okay. if you had you know if you you had the power that Pope Francis has you could make anyone a saint either yeah. living living or dead fictional or real who would you make a saint? I I have a very topical answer. I um, I knew I'd have to answer this question, so <laughs> I was kind of thinking about it, and um, I was think I, I my answer is Stephen Colbert, but yes. I thought of this answer. <laughs> before uh, Fire Colbert was trending on Twitter last night. Are you going to stand by it? (laughs) Just to give give myself credit. No, um, he's my choice. I think he is like a great moral man and also so funny uh, and cool. Yep. All right. I endorse that same choice. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Tracy. Um, Everyone, you should check out her show, Great News, on NBC uh, Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. That's correct? Yeah. Yes. All right. And you can check. Thank you guys so much. Oh, yeah, of course. And her articles at americamagazine.org. And yes, thank you so much for joining us, Tracy. Thank you guys. This was fun. All right. Bye. Bye. Now let's move into some listener mail. All right. This is not exactly mail, but you have some good. No, I this <laughs> you is some the part good of the feedback show. Yes. from a listener. I, I do. Uh, so this is your lo- missed connection part of the show. Uh, <laughs> so I was at the Olympic Flame Diner here in New York, and I was having lunch with a couple of coworkers um, when out of nowhere, someone, uh, a young man, stopped and just said, "Sorry to interrupt." Great job on the podcast. <laughs> I listen to it. I love it. And then he, and then I was like, oh, I was so flustered. I was like, wow, this is crazy. Nothing like that. I'm basically ever. Stephen Colbert. Basically. <laughs> no, but uh, it really, it made my week. So, uh, and it made everyone here's week too. So, yeah. So if you're that listener who approached Zach Davis at the diner, please write us or tweet us. We'd love to know who you are. Yeah. So that's and, my and misconnection. And grab an omelet sometimes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So on to our Twitter polls, where this week we asked listeners if they had any Catholic wedding horror stories. Um, and the first one we got was from Dan Kasaki, who wrote in, My second and final wedding as liturgical coordinator, the dog leading the ring bearer in wagon peed in the vestibule. All right, why? Who's letting a dog lead the ring bearer? The ring dog. <laughs> this was clearly not the same church where Tracy Wigfield got <laughs> married, because no. that would not fly with Bev. Wait, what if it was a service dog and Ashley's a total terrible person right now? Wow. Oh, God. Dan was it a service a dog? In a wagon? Okay. Ring, ring bear no. in a wagon. Yeah, it's yeah, totally I don't I don't think... baby in a wagon. Okay, all right, that's fine. <laughs> Joanne Ross wrote in, how about when Father Murphy told new husband at the altar in front of everyone that I was his most precious possession? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, biblically correct. Politically, oh, no. not God. Socially, not so much. <laughs> Super rough. So thank you for everyone who responded to our Twitter poll. Um, other news on Stitcher. We are on Stitcher. Yeah. <laughs> we used to say we were on Stitcher. <laughs> now we're actually on Stitcher. We were lying. <laughs> I mean, we gave up drinking, so decided to take up lying. For so Lent. I, yeah. It's just what good Catholics do, right? But one of our listeners, Kelly, pointed this out to us. So thank you, Kelly, for pointing out the ways in really my error. <laughs> I'll take I'll take ownership of that. Yeah. But we're on we are on Stitcher now. So if you have friends who use Stitcher, take their phone and just boop, 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 subscribe to us there. Richard from Brooklyn, the same guy who gave us our drink recipe, which we've we're almost done with. Uh, it's it was very good. The same person who wrote in the drink recipe also wrote in a consolation this week, which was great. So thought we'd share that. I found God in a simple Saturday morning mass this past weekend at the Duomo in Florence, Italy. The Gregorian chants in the Mass echoed around the old church to create a sonic bath of both praise and prayer. Even though most of the prayers were in a language I don't understand, I was connected to the small group of faithful that had gathered in this sacred space. As a Catholic convert, these moments of connection to the wider community of believers and to the history of the faith are particularly important to me. Though, I still can't quite get on board with the human remains of saints on display in the altars. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get more Catholic than that. <laughs> yeah. Catholics are weird. We are weird. Yeah. No, so, I've, I've been to that church and seen those remains and it's just like, all right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. God in all things. <laughs> so Richard, thanks for sending in that consolation. And so other listeners, send us your consolations and desolations. Let us know where you're finding God, where you're not. Um, even if you don't want us to read it on air, just let us know. We won't. But we would love to hear from you. Yes, because we're still learning how to do these consolations and desolations. Speaking, Speaking of, of which, <laughs> what do you have, Zach? Uh, so I'm going to go with a desolation this week. Uh, right now I'm moving apartments, which, you know, moving is a stressful and looking for a new home is a stressful situation in general and maybe even more so in New York where, you know, the gap to find a place is so short and you've really got to move. In um, that, I'm trying to move with, some friends and that is bringing to the fore some hard conversations about uh, location and finances and how things are going to be split up. And that is, you know, driving a real wedge right now between one of my best friends and I. Uh, and so the desolation is not being able to, I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing beyond that wedge into the bigger picture um, of, of both our friendship and empathy and reality. And that is, 
that is my desolation is not being able to see grace at work when I'm, and I'm sure it is, but I'm totally lost where it's at right now. So, yeah, that's hard. I'm, I'm going to have to do this in November. So I'm taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> Live alone. <laughs> is that yeah. the note? <laughs> Studio apartment. <laughs> okay. What do you have, Olga? I also have a desolation this week. Um, so as I've mentioned in the past, we're all at that age where, you know, we're in relationships or are, we're exploring different parts of our career, et cetera. So we're kind of as millennials, our lives seem to sort of be taking off in a way. Um, but at the, simultaneously, I'm kind of seeing that my parents are entering that age where they're getting older and still kind of working. So I'm really face to face with my parents' mortality. Like they're not these superheroes that they were when I was five or 10, you know, where I was kind of like, they're going to be around forever. Now it's like, oh, no, my dad's approaching 60. Like he's having all these health issues. And I'm like the roles are kind of being reversed where I'm shifting into like in a few years, I'm going to have to take care of my parents. And that's something that's very terrifying because I never thought I mean, I guess you do know, but I wasn't prepared for it this at this point in my life right now. So it's very yeah, it's very desolating for me because it's, I'm also having a hard time sort of finding the grace in in this experience that I'm in right now. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing like human human limitation. Like, yeah. In both of these. So it's Ashley. What do you got this week? Please, I I need, <laughs> it's a consolation. <laughs> Pull us out of this. Kind of. Thank I'm not, you. <laughs> actually, I, I, this could go either way. We'll see. Um, so on Friday, there was this awesome thunderstorm. Like I woke up to the sound of thunder at like it was like four thirty a.m. or five a.m. and I my I look out my window and there's just like an epic storm going on, like lightning and thunder nonstop. It seems like a scene out of Twister, and I just like look out and I'm like mesmerized by it and kind of scared um and it's hard for me to talk about it because it was just like this overwhelming feeling of like kind of being scared and wanting my mom and then not having my mom so wanting god and is god the thunderstorm or is god the one protecting me from the thunderstorm it was just like this all these feelings and i was also in that like kind of like weird dream waking state um the best but but I, I have to say, like, my, I, I just kind of reverted to prayer in that moment, which I have had trouble doing recently. And so, I don't know. It was just like this, this feeling of awe. Brought and, to you in the middle of a storm. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling God's presence <laughs> in the middle of a storm. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, I guess it was consoling, but yeah. it was, but it was like kind of like, I don't know. Like, I did have this very like child, like, sensation of fear when it was going on um but then also like found some peace by praying um so that was, that was yeah that sounds nice. great yeah that's, yeah i like it and i mean i just yeah i love thunderstorms no it's true I, you know the thing about being in new york is i miss being able to like walk out on a porch and just like watch the rain mm-hmm. can't really do it the same way no. in the city no. yeah porches I, I i somehow i doubt that your new place is gonna have a porch no. and i doubt there's gonna be a giant field actually i'm gonna be commuting from uh the middle of pennsylvania to save money all right well i think that just about wraps it up so Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Wyatt Massey and Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Adult supervision provided by Carrie Weber. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. 
And this week, our adverbs came from Stephen Grant, who is a self-proclaimed adverb nerd, and emailed us our uh, adverbs. So if anyone else has some great ideas for how to describe young, hip, and lay... Yeah, you send them in. We're trying to outsource all of the work for <laughs> yeah, this show. No, so. Cocktail recipes, adverbs, <laughs> consolations and desolations. <laughs> We're looking for free labor. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be rewarded in heaven, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> you can follow us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher for real this time. <laughs> or whatever your favorite podcast app is. If we're not on that, let us know, please. <laughs> you can also follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. And send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at AmericaMedia.org. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis and Olga Segura. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next Friday. Bye.